We are continuing our series today on the glory of the gospel, looking at the book of Galatians. And we find in this uh, book that Paul has written the epistle to the churches of southern Galatia. And Paul's angry, and he's also hurt. He started many of these churches. He led many of the of, of these believers to faith in Christ. He discipled them only to depart and to find that the so-called Judaizers have come in, and they have been leading many in the church astray uh, by teaching them that it's not just by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved and that we live, but it's Christ plus. And many have been falling for this and and following after it. And, and Paul is so upset, and that gives us a reminder of the occasion of the writing of the book of Galatians. So which is it? Is it that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that we live by grace through faith in Christ alone, or is it Christ plus? And for the first century, Christ plus Judaism, Christ plus the rituals, Christ plus the sacrifices, Christ plus the Old Testament law, Christ plus circumcision. Today it might be Christ plus good works. In the end, do our good deeds outweigh our sin? Christ plus church membership or Christ plus baptism or Christ plus the Lord's Supper or Christ plus certain spiritual gifts? Or is it indeed, in reality, Christ and Christ alone. There's a lot at stake in this epistle, how it will be received by the churches in Galatia, and 2,000 years later, how its premise will be received by us who live in the 21st century. We live by grace through faith in Christ alone. Or... Is there some mixture of good works that are involved in the picture? Well, the word gospel means good news. And I have some good news for you. Nothing's changed. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We live by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago and always will be until Jesus comes again. I hope you kept your Bibles open after Shaden read or will reopen them to the second chapter of Galatians. And if you look at verse 11, you'll notice right off the bat, we are introduced to the name Cephas. Who's that? Well, that's Peter. The word Cephas is Peter's Aramaic name. Peter, or Petra, is his Greek name, and they both mean rock. So here, Paul writes when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, and that's where this is occurring. Antioch is the location for the first Gentile church, the first predominantly or even totally Gentile church. And Paul is confronting Cephas. Paul is confronting Peter, and he is calling Peter something that Peter has to take very, very seriously. 
So before we repeat that accusation, just understand that the message today is entitled The Glory of the Gospel, Justification. The Glory of the Gospel, Justification. Now here's what Paul says to Peter. Were you paying attention when we read it, when Shaden read it? Peter, Cephas, you are a hypocrite. Oh, my goodness. Well, today we would almost rather be called anything other than a hypocrite. In fact, the two things I think people don't want to be called today is hypocrite and intolerant. We'll accept almost anything else, but please don't call us a hypocrite or intolerant. Well, Paul does not mince words. He says, Peter, you are a hypocrite. You're acting in a hypocritical way. And that must have stung Peter's heart as Paul said that to him. Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision. A vision of a sheet being let down with all kinds of animals in it. And in his dream, Peter is saying, oh, these things are unclean. And God says, no, don't call anything unclean that I've made. And then God revealed to Peter that he was going to get a visitor and he should follow that visitor where he took him. And he was going to meet there a man named Cornelius. And that's what happened at Caesarea by the sea. Peter was introduced to a Gentile, a Roman military officer named Cornelius. And Peter entered into the home of this Gentile, something before that before the vision Peter would never have done. But he enters into the home of a Gentile, shares Christ with Cornelius, and Cornelius and his household become Christ's followers. As Peter fully understood that day, Jews and Gentiles are saved in the same way. That is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And then in Acts chapter 15, that is affirmed at what is called the Jerusalem Council, where the leaders of the church, including Peter, gathered together and declared once and for all, Jew and Gentile are saved and live in the same way. That is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Well, Peter traveled to Antioch, and when he got there, he greets these Gentile believers. He goes into their homes. He fellowships with them. He shares meals with them. He worships with them, no doubt preaches to them and and teaches them and everything is going well until some Judaizers who claim to be followers of Christ come from Jerusalem to Antioch and once they get there and they see Peter fellowshipping with Gentiles they say to Peter Peter you shouldn't be doing this these Gentiles are unclean And Peter, things are changing, things are evolving, and you need to understand that these Gentiles need to be saved by, yes, faith in Christ, but also by becoming Jews. They need to observe the feast. They need to observe the festivals. They need to to observe the rituals and the sacrifices, and they need even to be circumcised. They need to become Jews in order to be fully to be fully saved. So how did Peter react? Like a rock, did he stand up and say, "Nope, we settled that back at the Jerusalem Council. No way." Well, instead, 
Peter wilted under peer pressure. And Peter began a calculated withdrawal from his fellow Christians who happened to be Gentiles. In fact, if you look at the 12th verse, it says he began to draw back. And that term draw back is a military term. And it means strategic withdrawal. So in other words, this is something that Peter did not just do haphazardly, but he planned and calculated a strategic withdrawal from his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ in order that he not be embarrassed in front of the so-called Jewish believers, these Judaizers. Well, let me jump in at this point and say, Peter got right with God. Now we're going to tell how that happened in a minute. But how do I know that Peter got right with God over this issue? Well, all I have to do is say, spend a couple of hours reading first and second Peter and which were written after this. And you will understand that Peter got right with God. But just to be absolutely certain, let me read these verses from chapter one of first Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the Peter we know who wrote first and second Peter. So there is a repentance that comes from the confrontation with Paul. So right now I want us to think about the glory of the gospel, justification. And justification could be called the crown jewel of our faith. And three New Testament books really go into detail about justification. And those three are Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. And right now we are in Galatians. Now, Paul says to Peter, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You're practicing hypocrisy. You are saying one thing and doing another. I love the Peanuts comic strip. I wish Charles Schultz was still with us so that we could have the benefit of some new ones. But a number of years ago, uh, he drew a cartoon that pictured Lucy out in left field. They're playing baseball. She's yelling at Charlie Brown, who's on the pitcher's mound. And she yells at him and said, let's win one for a change, Charlie Brown. Charlie winds up, throws the pitch. The hitter hits the ball. It goes out into the left field. 
and uh, Lucy just stands there, doesn't make a move, and the ball hits the ground not all that far from where she's standing. Charlie Brown is looking at her like, I can't believe you did this. And so he calls out to her, and he says, if you're so interested in winning, why didn't you move? And Lucy's response was, my role is strictly advisory. Well, we think about that and we chuckle, but when we come to think about hypocrisy, real real hypocrisy, there's not much about which we can chuckle. Hypocrisy is to say one thing and do another. So I want to leave with you, first of all, as we think about three things in this text, I want us to zero in on hypocrisy and understand that hypocrisy lurks nearby for all of us. Which one of us would not own up to at some point in our lives having been hypocritical? We said one thing and did another. Or we weren't faithful to Christ and we definitely looked to those around us like we were hypocrites. It can happen to any of us and as a reminder that we should stand on the truth. So I want to leave with you four things that hypocrisy brings. First of all, hypocrisy brings confusion. Hypocrisy brings confusion. You can't have it both ways. It's uh, We're either saved by grace through faith in Christ alone or we're not. It can't be both ways. And so Peter, by his actions, is confusing people. They have heard him say, we're all saved in the same way. And now we're, they're watching him withdraw from his Gentile brothers and sisters. And he's confusing people by saying one thing and, and doing another. Like when we say we're Christians and then live like the, the devil. We're to be accountable to one another. Sometimes I've heard people who say they're believers say, I'll live as I please. No, we can't say that. What we must say rather is, I'll live according to the gospel. And that is what Peter had forgotten. And hypocrisy confuses people. They see the inconsistency in hypocrisy. So hypocrisy brings confusion, but hypocrisy also brings contradiction. Hypocrisy brings contradiction. Is it grace or is it works? Can't be both. It's not grace and works. It's either grace or it's works. But it can't be both. Like when we say, Christ makes all the difference in my life, but we live like he doesn't make any difference in our lives. Hypocrisy brings contradiction. Is it by grace through faith in Christ alone, or is it by works? I read the story about a little boy who said to his dad, Dad, did you go to church every Sunday when you were a kid? And the dad said, yep, I went every Sunday. The little boy was really, really quiet for a moment. And then finally he said, well, I don't think it'll make any difference in my life either. So what was dad doing before his son? Perhaps not living consistently. To be a hypocrite or to practice hypocrisy can lead us far from God. And so hypocrisy lurks nearby. Hypocrisy brings confusion. Hypocrisy brings contradiction. Thirdly, hypocrisy brings cowardice. Brings cowardice. Under peer pressure, Peter wilted. 
apparently he craves acceptance by these Judaizers. And he, he, he could not live as a Gentile while expecting Gentiles to live like a Jew. He needs to stand firm on what he knows to be the truth. But momentarily, at least, Peter wilted. And we see that hypocrisy brings confusion. It brings contradiction. And it brings cowardice. And fourth, contradiction brings cloudiness. It brings cloudiness. It clouds the main issue. The main issue is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We live by grace through faith in Christ alone. And yet, when we live in hypocrisy, we cloud the issue. The main issue of salvation and how we live as believers is sidetracked by legalism or by the issues of the day like circumcision and and, and ritual. Today it might be legalism. Today it might be do this, do that, or don't do this, or do this. All those things which can somehow suddenly become the main issue while they aren't the main issue. And so hypocrisy can bring cloudiness. And we need to remember that the main thing is the main thing, and that is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We live by grace through faith in Christ alone. If we have someone who visits our church one Sunday and they haven't been here before, they're new to our community, and uh, the husband says to me, Pastor, we've enjoyed being here today. My wife and I need to go to Walmart. Can you tell us the best way to get to Walmart from here? Oh, that's easy. All I have to do is say, go north on Main Street, 317, get to Sparta Road, turn left. There you are. You're right there at Walmart. But let's suppose I overthink the issue and I say, well, you know, Main Street can get kind of crowded sometimes. So here's what you ought to do. Go back here to the street behind the church. Take Pearl Street. Go north. Uh, When you get to the corner of Martin Luther King Drive, take a left. You'll be going west. Take that Martin Luther King west till you get to Loop 121 and then turn right. Go on Loop 121. Then you'll be going north again. Stay on Loop 121 till you get to Sparta Road. Now, when you get to Sparta Road, you're going to have to get over to the right, and it kind of curves. And so turn right on Sparta Road. You'll be going east at that point. Stay on Sparta Road till you get the roundabout. Yes, sirree, we have a roundabout in Belton, Texas. We're mighty proud of it. And so you get to that roundabout, and you go roundabout, and you're still going east, and you keep going on Sparta Road. Finally, you're going to see Walmart over on your left. You have arrived. Now, by this time, the couple is probably thinking, this is one confused pastor. I think we'll pick another church. It's one thing to be cloudy about how to get to Walmart, but it's quite another thing to confuse the issue about how to be saved or how to live as a believer. And that is that we are saved and we live by grace through faith in Christ alone. The second thing that I want us to think about today is this. There is a confrontation over doctrine. There's a confrontation over doctrine. Now, doctrine's important. Sometimes I'll hear folks say, I don't care about doctrine. All I care about about is Jesus. Well, I want to try to understand what they're saying. Jesus is certainly number one. But Jesus is one in his word who's given us doctrine. And doctrine is just another, it's just a title for what we know to be true. And that's scripture. So Paul confronts Peter over doctrinal issues. 
And, and there are five of them. Real quick, here's what they are. Don't, don't despair. I'll do this fast. The first doctrinal issue is that of unity. If you look back at uh, the 14th verse, it says, When I saw that they were, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Wow, ouch, that hurts. Those are stinging words. Any practice that violates Scripture and separates one believer from another is a unity breaker and a denial that we are one in Christ Jesus. The second doctrinal issue that Paul shares with Peter, confronts Peter with, is justification. Look back at uh, verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Let me say that again. He is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. If if only Paul could have learned to say what he meant, it would have been plain. Well, it's as plain as it can be, the issue of justification. This is the first time in writing that uh, we find Paul uh, addressing this issue relating to us what he said to Peter. And this is critical to our faith. In the Old Testament, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says, The just shall live by faith. Justification. The glory of the gospel. Justification. Let me give you a definition of justification. Basically, justification is, is God saying, you're right with me. But let me give you a nice formal uh, definition of justification. Here it is. You ready? Justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say it again just in case you're writing. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, more on justification when we wrap up in just a minute. The third doctrinal issue that Paul addresses with Peter is that of freedom. If you look at verse 17, you'll find it says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So what Paul is saying to Peter here is, Peter, you are limiting, you are attempting to limit the God-given Christ-bought freedom of, of the Gentiles who are saying yes to Jesus Christ. This was settled, Peter. It was settled back in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council. That was all settled. And Peter, let me remind you what you said at the Jerusalem Council. Peter, here's what you said. You said the law is a burdensome yoke. That's what you said. The law is a burdensome yoke, Peter. Now, having said that, you are putting Gentiles under that very yoke. And Paul confronts him. And he's reminding Paul, we're free in Christ. We don't live under a a yoke. We are free. Is Paul saying the law is bad? 
No, no, no. He's not. There's a purpose to the law. The purpose of the law is to lead us to Jesus. Because we try to keep the law. And what happens? I can't do it. I give up. Exactly. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're then to look to Jesus. It's an expression of the fact that you need Jesus. Now, the fourth doctrinal confrontation between Paul and Peter is this. It's over the gospel itself. Look at verses 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I, you and I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 20 is one of the greatest verses in all the scripture. If we are justified by the law, as the Judaizers were saying, then why did Jesus die? We are saved and we live by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that is the gospel, the glorious gospel, the good news. And Paul says earlier in this epistle, what the Judaizers are are saying is not another gospel. It's no gospel because it's no good news. It's not good news at all. And so Paul confronts Peter over the issue of the gospel. And finally, the the fifth doctrinal issue that Paul confronts here is that of grace. That beautiful word that we all love. Look at verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. But it can't be won by the law. Be won only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. To go back now, Peter, would be to set aside grace. May it never be. Grace says we all are saved and we all live in the same way by grace through faith in Christ alone. Grace is God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved favor that he chooses to pour out upon us. The law says do, grace says done. It's all done in Christ. It is finished. As Ephesians says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we finish. The third thing is this, the third point. Justification reviewed, not revised. Justification reviewed, not revised. The Judaizers were attempting to revise the very meaning of the word justification. Can't do that. We'll just review it. So here's what justification is. Four things. Number one, justification is an act not a process. It is an act, not a process. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's another one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Every believer 
has been justified. It was instant. It was immediate at the moment of salvation. If we were justified by our works, then justification would be a gradual process at which there would be no end. But justification is an act. And secondly, justification is an act of God. Not only is it a moment in time act, but it is an act of God. Not as a result of our work or our character. In fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies by faith in Christ alone. The law reveals sin. You want to know what the purpose of the law is? Just go to the scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The purpose of the law is to draw us to Jesus by a revelation that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. God, in his grace, put our sin on his son, Jesus. And then his righteousness has been put on our account. It's justification. Here, Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then justification is not only an act, it's not only an act of God, but it's a declaration of God. God declares the believing sinner righteous. That's his declaration. You are righteous. That's his declaration. In justification, you are righteous. Never to be declared guilty again, our past sin is remembered no more. Cast into the depths of the sea, separated from us as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more. So justification is an act, not a process. It is an act of God. It is a declaration of God. And lastly, it is an action for sinners. It is an action for sinners. That's you. And that's me. We're sinners. Not for good people. Who are they? Well, I don't know. What I do know is I'm a sinner. So are you. You see, justification is an action for sinners. In desperation, we have no way to go except to find our salvation through, by grace, through faith in Christ alone, who then declares us righteous. Those of us who are sinners. You understand you're a sinner, don't you? Yeah. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm aware the Bible says that, but I'm also aware in my heart that I'm a sinner. I know it. So are you. Oh, how desperately we need Jesus. God provided the way for us so that we might say to him, 
I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. I declare you are Lord. Will you come into my life? I want to follow you from this day forward. Where are you today? Uh, Most of you are probably right in Bell County. Some of you are elsewhere in Texas or elsewhere in America, somewhere around the world. Thank you for watching. Do you know Jesus? If you have to answer no to that question or you're not certain, then I invite you. In fact, I plead with you to do what what I just said. Call out to him. Call out to Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. And I ask you to come into my life today. Forgive my sin. And I say to you today that is the intention of my heart to follow you from this day forward. If you'll call out to God today, will you let us know? You'll see on the screen a way to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you as you grow as a follower of Christ. Wherever you may be, that help is available. Will you let us know? Any other decision God lays upon your heart today to those of you who are believers, a recommitment of your life to Christ, some things that need to be made right between you and a member of your family or between you and, and a friend or a working associate or a fellow student, someone with whom things need to be made right, take care of it today or absolutely as soon as you possibly can. God bless you all. The glory of the gospel, justification. I'm going to pronounce our benediction from Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.